Hey everyone. Welcome to another office hours, protocol office hours to be specific. Uh, we'll give a couple more minutes here for folks to join. Hello. Hey, Josh. How's it going? Good. How about you? Pretty good. Just getting logged in. Had a little issue with my Twitter app, but go now. Awesome. Okay. Yes, Dennis. Uh... Oh, he's saying hi. Sorry. I was going to bump him up. As a speaker, if you if you want to, Dennis, let me know. Yeah, you can bring Dennis up if you if you want, uh, unless Dennis doesn't want to hang out. I'm uh, I'm good now. I think. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. How you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Looking forward to this uh, protocol office hours. Awesome. Uh, I am trying to get uh, Aki, who is our protocol member. Um, going to talk about a couple of topics which we shared yesterday, which is one open source ethos, and the other one, uh, I just uh, added him to the speaker list. Uh, the other one is flat, sto- flat storage. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yes, we can. Okay. Awesome. Welcome. All right. Uh, some. I'm still having. This is, technology is always a bit challenging for me, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out my headphones and stuff. Um, All good. You, you, you sound good, actually. All right. Uh, thank you for joining. So I was just uh, letting people know we gave a few minutes to join in here. Um, I was just telling folks that today's topic and also as part of the housekeeping, we want to keep the questions coming, but uh, very focused on protocol. And you can pick any topic under near protocol and uh, happy to um, discuss, answer, um, or kind of navigate you guys to the right place. So with that, um, Aki, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure, yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Aki Singhania. Uh, I am an engineering manager in one of the protocol teams, uh, the contract runtime team. I've been at Pagoda for a little bit over six months now. Awesome. Excellent. So so what, what we have been doing, Aki, here is um, if we have any questions, we um, recommend folks on the listening list to actually raise their hands and bring them up uh, so they can ask questions um, relevant to the protocol uh, again. Um, if not, since we chose those two topics, I would say if you can start talking uh, or sharing some of your uh, point of views and such so we can have a back and forth also. We have Josh here, we have Dennis here. I see uh, Martin also here. So um, anybody has comments, questions, feedback, uh, happy to uh, chime in. But with that, um, Aki, do you want to take it over? Yeah, sure. Um, So 
as a as an engineering manager at Pagoda, I um, I do not I tend not to get very technically involved in uh, very deeply involved in technical uh, projects, but I help manage and manage the projects and so on. So one of the projects that I've been managing uh, lately is uh, flat storage. Uh, so I'm happy to give people uh, overview of what flat storage is about. What what is a, what are the motivations and why are we, why are we working on it? What are the bit for the potential benefits and so on. Uh, and the other topic that uh, I propose I can talk about is um, what are we doing in Pagoda to maintain and improve our open source ethos? Uh, this is something that I've been, I do, I spend quite a bit of time on uh, working on, um, looking at what the different types of processes we have around development in Pagoda and specifically in the protocol uh, division and figure out what can we do to make it more inclusive of the external community, make sure that they are properly kept up to date, they have all the necessary information that they need and how can we build and encourage uh, external community that is willing to get involved in, in making changes to the protocol and improving the protocol and so on. Uh, with that, should I do, uh, is that a, like, I wasn't sure if I should do a like, high level summary yeah, or yeah, no, something. Yeah. No, that, that, that sounds great. Um, yeah, if you want to start with like the flat storage thing and just kind of, yeah, what is flat storage? Like, what, what, what are we talking about when you mean, when you say flat storage? Sure, yeah. So, <clears throat> Uh, when you when you're running a smart contract on on the near protocol, uh, the smart contract has has some data that it wants to store on the blockchain, and this data is going to be uh, so. There's an API uh, that the smart contract can use to store, to read and write data that will be stored on the blockchain on its behalf, and this data is typically stored in the form of a key value pair. So the smart contract will specify uh, something like say an account ID and a value, which would be you know maybe how many what uh, how many funds or how many tokens this account has and so on. And this data is typically uh, it, currently it's maintained in something called a tri structure. So a tri data structure is, is a tree-like data structure where we, it's a hierarchical data structure where um, uh, it's a bit hard to explain without any visual aids, but uh, essentially um, you, depending on the length of the key, you will walk down the tri, you will have that many, many nodes in your tri data structure and you would walk down the, the tree at that many nodes and at the end of it, you would find the value that you are uh, looking for. And you know, if, if they're not, if, if the tree is very parse or something, there will not be as many nodes. But if the tree is very, uh, if there's lots of nodes in the tree and so on, then there'll be uh, there's lots of keys stored in the tree, then there'll be more nodes and so on. Uh, so this tri data structure is used because um, the main benefit of using it is that it allows us to uh, generate for whether some bit of data. Exists or not exist on the on the 
on the blockchain. So that is the motivation for storing this data in the tribe. Um, so when we store data in this tribe, we, uh, whenever a smart contract wants to read or write to this data, we have to walk this tri data structure, which can be quite expensive. And not only that, but also we need to we need to charge the smart contract for these accesses, and the the fee that we charge the contract for these accesses are also not very straightforward to understand and can be a bit complicated for the uh, developer to to wrap their head around to figure out okay if I'm if I'm gonna build my data if if I'm gonna store my data in this particular way or something what would be my typical gas fees for data access and so on. Um, so with, with all of that in mind, but we uh, we start working on this uh, alternate uh, or an additional storage layer called uh, flat storage, where, as the name suggests, we on top of storing the data in the tri data structure uh, uh, next to it, on uh, we would store data in a flat uh, hierarchy. So it will be a simple key value pair. So each key will map directly to the value. There will be no uh, traversing of tree and traversing of nodes and so on. Uh, so looking up key uh, values for a given key will be um, more or less a constant. Uh, there will be a fixed number of lookups that we have to do rather than de uh, it depending on the size of the key and the size of the database or the number of keys stored in the database and so on. And so this will give us more predictable performance. This will give us better performance. Uh, not in all cases, right? There might be some cases in which the tribe would perform better, but on the average and so on, it will give us more predictable and, and in the average case, better performance. And it will the, it will also allow us to simplify the 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 way we charge fees for storage access. So instead of having to charge smart contracts based on how many nodes they had to traverse in order to fulfill the access request, it will be just N, which will end, which might be, which I believe would be two or something, which would just be like each access is just two storage or disk access or whatever the cost would come out to be there. So it would be more easier for the smart contract developers to understand what the fees are that they would have to pay when they're accessing the storage layer. And it will be cheaper and more predictable performance. Uh, so I hope, I hope that ramble made sense and that was useful for some people. Yeah, at any time, if anybody has any like follow-up questions, please uh, raise your hand and we'd be happy to, to bring you up to, to ask any questions. Um, Dennis, did you, I saw you unmuted yourself. Do you have a question? Yeah, does this mean there will be a duplicate data stored on chain or uh, um, is this some form of caching? You can look at it as a form of caching, uh, uh, but there is, uh, the data duplication will be minimal. So. Uh, when we store a separate column of the key value for the flat storage, the key we will not store another copy of the value there. We would just have it store a pointer to the value. So if the value is a very big uh, number, then um, 
we would actually we would not be duplicating that data. But if the value is a very small amount of data, then we would actually, as an optimization, we we might decide to actually duplicate it and store it there. Um, uh, yeah. So in some cases, we might be duplicating, uh, but in uh, in the more general case, we will not. So will flat storage work with? Will this, will this be so? This will be something that'll be done regardless of what collection method you use. Yeah, yeah. This will be underneath all of that, right? So that is at the SDK level. And this is at the yeah. store, the host function level. So the storage API. So it doesn't matter what collections you're using. Yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because like um, you know, for me, uh, uh, you know, when I was coming to blockchain and knew about. <laughs> having to be thoughtful about how I'm storing my my data on chain and uh, and seeing um, the different ways in which oh wow if I store it this way you know using these different collections uh, gas prices are definitely um, for 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 storing and retrieving this data is significantly different depending upon how much data I'm using and what the collection method is um, but that will no longer kind of be an issue then for me. Um, as far as optimizing uh, things with use of this, I, if I'm, am I understanding that correctly? I wouldn't say that we completely eliminate that issue, but we definitely make it less severe. I think um, you still have to pay a lot of close attention to what type of collection you're using, and you know if it's the best suited for your data or not. And the more knowledge you have about how the storage layer is implemented and how flat storage is implemented would allow you to better optimize um, your the performance and the fees and so on. But I think uh, this is a step in the right direction, but there's it, it's by no means like the story is done, right? This is, um, I, would see, I would say that this is uh, one of the many, many steps we would have to take uh, in order to improve uh, and these things will happen over time, right? As as the protocol evolves and so on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this will help, but not. This is not. Uh, this is a necessary but not sufficient uh, condition. Yeah. Cool. Is there is there an NEP um, on this discussion that that you're currently having? Uh, yeah, there is an NEP out. I'm not sure if I don't remember off the top of my head if it's in draft mode or not, but uh, there is an okay. NEP. Um, uh, we can find the link and post it at some point. Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, Matthias uh, came up and uh, had his hand raised, and then I believe Dennis has a follow-up uh, as, as well. Uh, Matthias? Yeah, sure. Hey, guys. Uh, so I'm just dropping in, but I wonder, now that you're talking about the actual storage mechanism, if you're having a flat, uh, let's say, database or, or structure, how would that affect sharding? Because isn't it try the actual data structure that allows sharding, you know, partitioning parts of that tree into different pieces that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, enhances the lookups? I mean, how, how does that, that That's a That's a very good uh, question, Mateus. Um, I know I see that Marcin is on the on space too. I don't know if Marcin, you, you have a you want to take this question uh i can try to answer but i think you would provide a much better answer 
just invited Marcin to speak if he is willing. Yeah, I tried. Yeah. Oh, he could potentially be using the web app. Yeah, Marcin, if you're using the web app, you can't join. Oh, you have to be on your phone that, that uh, if he's trying to do that or not. Um, okay. But yeah, maybe I, I can. Maybe, I can try to. Yeah, I can try to answer this, but I, I'm not sure if this is the correct answer. So I'll just I'll just throw that out there. This is my current understanding. Um, so you know, as Dennis was alluding to it earlier, right? Uh, the flash storage is um, uh, you can see it as a cache, right? So if we need to reshard, we could uh, potentially just drop the whole flat storage and then rebuild it uh, after the sharding has finished, right? So we would still, just because we're storing data in the flat storage, we're not getting rid of the try, right? We're also keeping the try around. And uh, by, so that could be one mechanism, but I'm not sure if Marcin and the, the en engineers working on this project, they've come up with a better solution, but this seems like could be a potential solution to me. Cool. Um, yeah, I see Marcin dropped off. Maybe he's going to log into his app and, and rejoin uh, potentially. Uh, Dennis, uh, oh, unless um, did you did you have a follow up question to that, or maybe Dennis, did you, did you have? Uh, you said you had a question as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting to hear what Marcin has to say. And additionally, I've been wondering. Uh, so, how will this be implemented once it's rolled out? I mean. Will it at that point populate the flat storage or will the flat storage be populated before um, or during the update? So there are two parts of this question, right? So one is we need to migrate or we need to populate flat storage when we first roll this out, right? So let's say all the development is done and then NEP is approved and we have uh, uh, actually Marcin's a speaker now. Marcin, do you want to? Take this or some of the questions. Or yeah, sorry, I had to jump from the web app to the to the mobile phone, which means I I lost like yeah, the last thirty yeah. seconds, <laughs> the last 40, 30 seconds of discussion. So uh, can you repeat the question, please? Uh, yeah. So um, the question earlier that Matthias had was um, how does storing data in flat storage affect our ability to reshard? Right. Um, uh, with, uh, what would we do with the flat storage when we reshard? Right. So as you can imagine, resharding is a very heavy operation and actually flat storage here, as we kind of keep the second copy of the data, means that we will have to recreate flat storage during resharding. So TLDR, uh, resharding will require maybe not 2x, but I would say like 30% x more um, disk accesses than in the past. The way, the way, okay, so that was the way to think about flat storage, solution. because I, I think that someone mentioned that. Yes, it is kind of a cache, right? So the source of truth is actually in the try, because that's where we computed hashes from, right? At the end of the day, the whole thing works because we have a hash of a root, hash of a Merkle tree actually committed to the header, right? So flat storage here is, as Axel was saying, is the performance improvement. And in many scenarios, gives us 5x or more than 5x. Uh, performance gains, especially for contracts that are very heavy on storage use. Cool. Thanks, Marcin. And the second question that Dennis had, um, maybe you want to repeat that again, Dennis? Or Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so my second question was about the, the rollout. 
uh, will flat storage be, be, uh, uh, be populated first or during the update? And if so, how, uh, how do you determine what to uh, fill into the flat storage before uh, everything rolls out? Or will it just be empty and uh, it will determine how it's filled in by a use? Right. So you're touching on a very, very interesting subject, actually. And there are lots of discussions around it. The way to think about it is like, um, so <clears throat> on one side, we would love to roll it like gradually, right? Imagine starting empty and then start putting things in there. But unfortunately, due to the gas computation differences, we cannot. Meaning the gas has to be computed either, you know, based on try or based on flat storage, right? So uh, we, the, the current plan is to basically do the rollout of flat storage in the background, which means that during one epoch, the data will be copied into flat storage. And when epoch ends, and let's say the next epoch will switch to use flat storage. Again, this is the current plan. We're doing a bunch of testing to see how much disk usage, how much additional load this would cause the validators. And to add to that answer, um, when we are processing blocks, uh, the writes will be served, um, the writes will go into flat storage, but eventually they will be uh, make their way into the try, right? So when, uh, when the smart contract is reading and writing, they, those updates will be made on the flat storage. And it's a bit more complicated, right? Because, you know, we, when we're making those changes, we cannot commit change. When we're processing blocks, we cannot commit those changes to the flat storage, so we maintain them as a delta. Uh, but in general, the high-level idea is that uh, writes will go to the flat storage and eventually make their way into the try, and they'll make it into the try by the time we need them to be in the try in order to recompute the, the state root hash and so on. Yeah, if you want to read more, I think, I don't know if Aki mentioned it, I think there's a draft or maybe even a full NEP on the NEP on the forum, uh, especially for, the, for, for, for people who would like to see details. The very interesting uh, case is, you know, forks. So handling forks with flat storage is an interesting, like, uh, engineering challenge because you have to kind of have to go back and you have to figure out how. So there are a bunch of interesting solutions that the team came up with. And I think some of these details are on the net. So I just wonder if you, can you actually give us like a, the best use case scenario for flat storage then? You mean the best um, type of collection that you can use or access pattern best, or? Yeah, the, the best practical use if I wanted for, a, for any project that's looking into, you know, you're kind of promoting flat storage. So from a project side, what, what would be the best use case scenario? What would be the, the best potential use for flat storage? So in some of our experiments, uh, we do see uh, flat storage helping a lot for write-heavy uh, workloads. Uh, in particular, if you're writing to a lot of different keys uh, in uh, in a sort of a random access pattern, right? So if if uh, so, 
we already had done a lot of uh, improvement for uh, access to the tri data structure. So we already had implemented different forms of caching. Uh, so if you had some predictable types of access patterns um, when you were uh, or, uh, accessing the try, then you would actually get pretty decent performance out of it. So the best case scenario for flat storage is when you're doing a lot of updates and you're updating sort of unpredictable, like random keys that are unpredictable. And in those cases, uh, we see flat storage performing a lot better than what we have right now. And mainly it's because um, the, that our, you know, we cannot, we, we, our cache data structure cannot predict the random accesses. I mean, if you're talking about the absolute, absolute best case scenario for Flask, right, so before, before that, important thing is that for 90% of developers, they shouldn't, care about flat storage versus regular, right? The way they will see this is a little bit lower gas fees. But the absolute crazy scenario is the following. Imagine you have a contract that has a ton of keys. Right? Basically, let's say a simple contract, like a, a FT contract, has a hash map with like billions of keys, a huge contract. Without flat storage, and let's say this contract is used very rarely, so say once a day. Now, without flat storage, this means that each of your reads it's actually going to get slightly more expensive the larger the contract gets. Because the underlying try is going to get bigger and bigger, right? Because the more data you have, the deeper the try is going to be. I mean, it, it grows in the logarithm fashion kind of, but still, potentially it can be big. With flat storage, your reading costs will be constant in gas terms. Right? So to recap, huge contract with a very deep try, with a very deep, deep try, basically, uh, with current scenario, you're going to pay proportionally to the depth of a try, which is logarithm of your size. With flat storage, it's going to be a flat fee. And as Aki mentioned, uh, you know, if your contract is being used often and whatnot, we do a bunch of caching to, to smoothen it out. And that's why I'm saying that the absolute best case scenario is you, if you use your contract once a day, which doesn't give us any chance of doing any caching right, on chain. Any other questions? I think we're half past on the clock for the hour. So do we want to switch to the next topic? Aki? Um, I'm happy to switch to the other topic. Uh, it depends on what the interests are. Um, yeah, whichever people prefer. Yeah, so we can't assess the interest, unfortunately, yeah. on the Twitter spaces. So that's why we tweet about the topics and um, have folks join the call um, based on how things are going. We can bump them up. Uh, if they have questions or comments, we can bump them up to speaker and they can ask relevant questions. But 
but yeah otherwise we we basically discuss the topic that we chose for today uh yeah sure so i can talk a little bit about the open source ethos then um so um there are a number of challenges when you think about uh, how can we keep a community how can we build up a community around uh, an open source project and how can we involve the community better and uh, and so on and there's um, so I, I I will tell you my north I will start by telling you what my north star is so currently um, any PR that is merged into near core it needs to be approved by someone who is employed at Tagora. And my North Star is that within the year, at some point in the near future, uh, we have an approver who is not part of Pagoda, who is not employed by Pagoda. Um, so this person has enough understanding of the protocol and enough um, uh, trust and so on that they they can approve PRs that can be merged into uh, the into near core and can eventually be rolled out into the mainnet and so on. Uh, I think we are we are not there yet. We need to build a better. Com we need to put more effort into building the community and so on in order to achieve that. And that is what that, uh, that is what I'm working on. Um, so some of the things that uh, one of the recent changes that we've done is. Uh, using something called uh, tracking issues on GitHub. So we have these, we borrowed this, we, we stole this idea from uh, the Rust programming language development uh, uh, project. And um, so the, what we do there is uh, whenever, uh, so again, going using flat storage as an example, uh, the idea is that there would be a single GitHub issue uh, that would, provide all the relevant details around a project like flat storage and a person who is interested in following the updates or uh, progress on a project like that would just need to go to a single place uh, and get all the information that they need. Um, this is a process that uh, we introduced in Pagoda recently, and we're slowly migrating to it. Um, you will start seeing more and more of these tracking issues appear on GitHub over time. And the quality of these issues is also not that good yet, while we're still learning how to, how to use them in the best way possible. And as we learn and improve ourselves, the quality will also improve. So this is uh, one of the this is one small thing that helps us in informing the community better and um, getting them better involved uh, and help allowing them to find the relevant bit of information that they would be interested in without having to do a lot of searching and so on. And so the other ask the other thing that we've done recently is uh, we have open sourced uh, a lot of our documentation so even though um, our 
the source code and all the issues and so on are public, uh, we still had uh, an Pagoda internal confluence uh, play, uh, pay, uh, space where we were documenting a lot of know-how about uh, how the protocol works. Uh, Marcin uh, publishes these how some how the protocol works articles where he would describe different parts of the protocol. And for lack of a better space, he was doing that on Confluence and just sort of publishing a PDF of that and then posting that on Zulip. Uh, but now we have actually moved all of this documentation to our GitHub repository. And that was quite a bit of effort uh, by one of the engineers. Uh, and now we are planning on using the GitHub repository for all of our uh, protocol level documentation. Uh, so essentially, uh, within Pagoda, uh, whenever you are producing any technical bit information, uh, we want we want to have this switch in the engineers' uh, brains to say, you know, does this, you know, by default it should be open by and um, by default it should be in a place where it's public that is other people can see it. And not just they can see it, it's not just about having access to it, but it's also about visibility that they can find it easily. Uh, the other, that second part of the, uh, this latter part is a bit more challenging to solve, but we are working on it, we're thinking about it. Um, so we are trying to do this switch in the mindset of Pagoda engineers to make all the technical material that they produce, be it documentation or uh, source code or whatever that is all should be public and put in the public space so that other so that the external community can see it they can learn from it and they can improve the understanding of the protocol and ultimately use that to contribute back into the protocol and over time build a bigger stronger healthier external community based on that so that's awesome. I think what we're talking about is the their core, right? Repo. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can see architecture, how all of those probably under there. So I'm just navigating there to check um, mm -hmm. issue um, changes, right? PRs to change, I believe, because it's a public repo. Uh, anybody can issue, at least request changes based on their. Um, because as as of now, its heavy contributors are from Pagoda, as I see, right? So we want to make it more open uh, and make it more available and accessible for other to contribute. Okay, um, so we we don't we don't necessarily have a process uh, today, like to guide folks. Like, hey, if you want to contribute towards documentation, uh, not just protocol specific, but um, general understanding uh, of near, uh, not protocol specific architecture, but also anything related to protocol. 
is, right? So we have NEP process for feature enhancement requests or proposals, but we don't have anything um, for the documentation specifically. Or, sorry, Aki, were you able to hear? I see you reconnect. I'm, I'm sorry, I, my connection broke in the middle. Can you repeat your question, please? Yeah, the question was, I was telling them while you were uh, kind of mentioning where exactly you guys have moved the documentation instead of being on the confluence, which was internal facing versus making it more open and open source. Um, so I was just navigating to near core and docs and architecture um, and how folder to go up to all of those details that you mentioned that Martin and another engineers on runtime team did. Um, so I, I just wanted to get kind of validation on like, hey, that's where it is, uh, first of all. And the second of all, um, the process for kind of encouraging community members to actually come and contribute to documentation, um, not just kind of propose new feature to the protocol. So we don't have a process as of uh, today, right? So I think we want to kind of guide them on how they can actually contribute towards the documentation as well, um, not just proposing new ideas. Um, so so that's what I was um, kind of comment slash question. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so um, when we look at the NEP process, right, so uh, that is uh, a lot more uh, full featured than just proposing ideas, right? So if if someone, be it uh, a Pagoda employee or external to Pagoda, wants to propose a new uh, change to the protocol using the NEP process, they have to they have to propose the change and they have to provide a reference implementation. So that's a much more involved process. Um, but if you want to be if you want to contribute to near core, there's you know, you don't have to go through the NEP process in order to contribute to near core. You can contribute to it in a number of ways. The simplest way you can do it is, you know, if you find, it, if, if you have an idea for something that you would like to see in it, you can create an issue with that, um, with that, uh, um, with that idea, or you can create an issue there. Uh, you can actually propose you can create pull requests you can make you can propose any change that you think makes sense on your core and that will be reviewed by someone from the protocol team uh, same thing for the documentation that's maintained inside your core you know you can add you can create feature uh, issues saying i would like to see a documentation on xyz or you can actually you know uh, take the existing documentation that we have extend it or make um, uh, make whatever uh, propose whatever changes you make you think makes sense to it. Uh, of course, you know if you if you create an issue on near core, then uh, you know it, the priority of that will will be uh, you know if it's a bug report or something or if it's uh, you know something of that nature, then those will of course be handled more swiftly. But if it's a, a issue to say I would like to see a new XYZ feature, then those will probably uh, not have very, the uptake on that might not be as uh, quick depending on the workload of the team, which is very high. So 
but yeah, there are a bunch of different ways to contribute to the to near core. Uh, I would also like to plug uh, another technique that we're using to help uh, people on board onto near core, which is this idea of creating, adding a label to issues called a good first issue. And these are issues that um, someone who is not as familiar with near core can take on and they will, there's, enough detail in the issue, enough guidance already provided on the issue that they will be able to make progress on it with, uh, with a minimal amount of uh, research and searching or exploration or experimentation on their part. And this was a good way for them to uh, familiarize themselves with the rest of the code base and understand uh, how near core works and so on, so that they can become. So, uh, so these are issues that uh, if you if you're con contributor for the first time into the project, and these are the types of issues you should consider looking at. Uh, we are not that good at creating these issues yet. We have a few of them, but not enough. We should definitely create more. That is also something we're trying to encourage within the team. Um, and this will happen slowly over time, but uh, these this, these are the kind of things to watch out for. Yeah, I created like a bitly um, just near dash good uh, first issues. Um, but the the core team, you guys do it differently. You don't label it good first issue. You label it like C something first issue. So yeah, I was looking in um, uh, doing like a search uh, term that actually will include both these labels. So that way, if, yeah, if someone's new to near, they can take a look at all of our repositories and, oh, what area am I, uh, could I pot potentially contribute to, um, on different, different repos. Um, but yeah, let me, let me work with that. Oh, do you guys hear me at all? Or am I? Yeah, am yeah, I... yeah. Oh, yeah we heard oh, okay. You. All right. I just see. I just see Chetna's. Um, I don't know. I don't know about my app. I see Chetna's thing going. And I didn't know if she was talking, <laughs> and 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 couldn't and couldn't hear me if my app crashed or something. Okay. Cool. No. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I mean, just to add a little bit uh, about why we use the C dash good first issue. Uh, this is another practice that we borrowed slash stole from the Rust programming language. Um, they use different prefixes for different types of issues to help, you know, ha add some more hierarchy to the issues there, so that it uh, makes it easier to manage and to find and discover issues and so on. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll work with Nico to, to uh, yeah, get get something on a landing page somewhere, uh, have it have it better visible uh, for folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel, uh, I saw you raised your hand and uh, hey. brought you up to speak. Would you, do you have a question? Um, yeah, so a, a more of a statement than a question. Um, I want to start by saying thank you guys for hosting this space today. Um, I love Near so much. I actually went to NearCon in Lisbon, and I just fell in love with the community and how you guys support. Like, um, I got a vibe of like uh, just really passionate people and like supporting sustainability initiatives, going green, all that stuff. Um, I totally support Nier. Um, I'm over at Opolis, and we're actually helping to um, 
help workers become self-sovereign um, and get the benefits they need when working in Web3. Uh, so we're really trying to help legitimize employment in Web3. And we're actually partnered with Nier. So um, yeah, if you guys know of any DAOs or anyone working in the space um, that you know needs W2, crypto-friendly payroll, benefits, all that stuff, uh, just wanted you guys to know I am here to support you all and I'll give you all a follow. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, opolis.co, right? Yeah, opolis.co. And um, yeah. so, Josh, are you on the near team, the near core team? I, I am. Yeah, I'm on um, I'm on uh, the DevRel team um, for Pagoda, but I also like DevRel on Pagoda. We also do DevRel for not just Pagoda, but the ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a developer relations guy. Awesome. I, I met with uh, Matt Lockyer and Yadira. Um, man, okay, they, yeah, they yeah, just, yeah. they killed it at, um, at NearCon. That, that event was really well done. Awesome. Yeah. I really liked NearCon. It was a, it was cool. It was, it was a good vibe, uh, for sure. And, and yeah, I definitely, uh, echo what you said about, yeah, the people seem very passionate about the technology and, um, yeah, I, it was really, really cool to, to see a bunch of like-minded people at that event for sure. Yeah, and, and the incorporation of mindfulness, too, and wellness, I, I definitely noticed that, like having the uh, the little pod for meditation, that was really cool. Um, I, I just love the near vibe. I'm here to support you guys. Um, so, yeah, I gave everyone on here a follow. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll think of more questions, I'm sure, while we're here. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Rachel. Okay, I, I think. Um, oh, Matthias, okay. did you have a did you have a question? Yeah, no, just quick comment. Uh, I don't know if it's still relevant, but there's the the wiki uh, near the near wiki, and it actually has like a whole section on how you can contribute to near. I think that still applies, even though there might be some changes in there. So if anyone wants to go to wiki.near.org, there's a whole section on contribute that you guys might want to take a look at. That's it. Thanks. Awesome. Thank so, you, Matthias. Um, I think we should also take a look, right, Josh? Like uh, what the guidelines there and then probably make uh, necessary changes. And also right before we um, I spoke to Rachel, I think you and Josh, you were mentioning something that you would be doing working with Nico. Um, yeah, I would double click on that. Like what part did you mention? Oh, yeah. No. So um, I saw someone, uh, I think it was Froll in Telegram support. It's something about, hey, good first issues is something a good oh. way to contribute. I was like, oh, that's actually a good idea. And I um, I clicked on the link and it was like a search query of just searching all of our repos for the label good first issues. So then I created like a quick bitly, uh, just like a uh, URL for that just says, oh. you know, near first issue. But I it wasn't picking up the protocol issues because they have a different ta label for it. Um, so there's, there's a way in which you can do a search query for multiple labels um and then i just need to update that link and then like make it visible to people so you're if you're if you're coming in here and you're looking to contribute just an easy way to to get involved that's awesome thank you so i think we brought another speaker up um did you have a question yeah please hi. introduce and yeah hi everyone hey uh, uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, so a few a few days ago, 
I had some question uh, regarding what we discussed earlier about uh, storing data uh, in the near uh, ecosystem as a near smart contract. And uh, I mean, uh, Dennis, one of the earlier speakers, really helped me with that uh, because we really hacked, you know, a few hours and really sorted it, sorted, uh, sorted it out. And uh, he helped me with some of the code, and uh, uh, which is good. I mean, it's, I've really gotten a good understanding of, you know, how to really store the data and the rest. So, but what I what I did, what I was doing earlier, like since yesterday, was to like try to like make a to do list app, uh, example on like how somebody can build a to do list app on the near ecosystem. So you know, probably because uh, I think it's very important because what we really talked about was really important to really help like web two native developers to uh, understand how to work with Ari data structures in the smart contract because you know most of the most of how we store data in the web two is mostly related to arrays and uh, trying to you know push data to you know to maybe a db a database and the rest so uh so i mean what i what i was trying to do which i probably should get it done today is to like okay i mean this is really important although he also we also talked about the concept of flattening out the data which you told me that it's actually better to flatten out the data and it saves like cost, uh, storage costs and the rest. But I mean, uh, most of the time, if Web2 developers are coming in to build on there, I think their first question is like, how do I work with an array? Uh, because obviously, probably if somebody wants to store something like a different kind of uh, information on the smart contract, you know, they might really want to know how to really like, if they are pulling data, they want to know how to differentiate those uh, hierarchy of data by ID. Yeah, so I mean, in my own little contribution, I I I am actually trying to like, you know, build a to do list app and then maybe, uh, you know. So the question is, how do I push it on near examples? Because obviously, I've taken a a, a lot of, you know, uh, I've looked through the near examples uh, projects and I've really seen some good examples. And okay, so how do I really push this to the near example? Like maybe like. You know, maybe I know that uh, Josh, you are one of the core maintenance of the of the near example repo. Yeah, but I mean, so if if I'm done with the repo, my project, like, how do I really push it on so that people can also like, you know, get to see it and then try to work with it. Um, can, can you repeat that last question? You're saying uh, your project, like how to get more visibility into your project that you create? No, 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 no. It's not like it's it's not like oh. my project. It's not like something personal. So, so for for a web two developer that wants to build on there, probably they want to know how to uh how to work with arrays, how to like okay. So for example, you know that in there that is obviously working with vectors, right? So like I said, I made like a to do list app that utilizes the vector. Like like vector uh module in the near SDK near JS SDK, you know that you know like helps web two developers really get a good understanding of how to work with arrays in the smart contrast state. Uh, so so when I'm so probably I should be pushing the repo up tonight or later tomorrow. So how do I make it accessible on the like let's be part of the near example? It's not like it's open source. I'm not like it's not like my personal project. So like. The reason why I do this is that so that other Web2 developers or people trying to build on NEAR can also understand how to work with ARI data in the NEAR ecosystem. 
Yeah, you, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're talking more like on along the lines of like, yeah, how how to uh, help uh, individuals use collections um, and and storing data. Um, yeah, I would definitely say like whatever work that you work on, um, you know, uh, share with us. And also, I mean, open up a PR with Docs. Um, we have a collections area and how, how to work or how to use collections uh, in the uh, various SDKs um, that, that we have or various, the two ones that we main support, we mainly support the Rust and JavaScript SDK. Um, but yeah, you know, if your document, if you have like a documentation that helps the users um, use data structures, uh, absolutely pull, open up a PR either in docs or maybe in um, the SDK um, that you're going over collection methods with. Uh, whether uh, it be Jasper or Jasper and you right. know, contribute. Yeah. All right, good. I think the PR will work. So I'll just uh, probably open up a PR. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Put up a PR in Docs. Docs. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Right, Rachel, I see you have your hand raised. Yeah, so just two questions uh, from what you guys were going over. Um, where is this near wiki link? Can somebody share that or maybe DM it to me? Because um, I'm interested to take a look and see uh, what it looks like to contribute in the near ecosystem. Um, it's my first question. Yeah, it's wiki.near.org. Um, and uh, yeah, if uh, someone wants to reply to this tweet, uh, Pagoda host, can you uh, maybe post it uh, on this on this thread? I got it. And Okay, cool. Yeah, wiki uh, There's like a contributing section. Started, a lot right? of yeah. What's that? It says getting started when you open it up. Yep. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's All right. Um, thank you, guys. Um, so my second question, um, I actually have my colleague Sandy here. Um, and every week, I just want to let you guys know, we host a Twitter space every Friday. And we feature different impactful projects um, and, and go with our coalition partners to just talk about what they're up to in their ecosystem. Um, so I just want to extend that invitation to you guys. If you want to get featured one of these weeks, uh, we do our calls every Friday at 2 p.m. PST. Um, so if one of you would like to come on as a speaker, feel free to DM me. Um, I would love to feature near one of these weeks. Awesome. Thanks so much for the invitation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Chetna and uh, Nico. Uh, if you want to coordinate, they're, they're, they're more of the um, marketing and, um, uh, yeah, uh, community folks that help coordinate that. But, yeah, anybody else that's on the on the call want to reach out? Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Of course. Any other questions? We've got about four minutes left. Uh, anything else uh, anybody wanted to ask or uh, – Marcin or Aki, did you guys have anything else? Uh, final thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, no, I'd just say that I'm very happy to see all the engagement and questions that people had here. I was, I was very happy to be part of this. And yeah, I this was fun. And let's do more of these. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I know um, we, we were on a call earlier today. We had like a Deborah Sink and Patar uh, uh, from the education team and Near Foundation was, uh, I think, working with Marcin on uh, going over documentation and, and contributing guidelines and stuff like that in the Near Core uh, repository um, to kind of help, help along with that. It was cool to see 
uh, some collaboration there. I'm not sure um, when that'll land, but um, but yeah, definitely uh, we're open for uh, to to the other individual that, that was mentioned before. Yeah, like um, Docs is not owned by anybody. It's a community thing. Like um, you know, I would contribute to it. Uh, we just help maintain it. And uh, yeah, along with these like you know um, projects that we're working on, it's yeah very much a community effort. We need feedback. We need input, guidance. Um, you know, to kind of help us steer the ship in the right direction. So, uh, any contribution, big or small, is always welcome. Awesome. Um, okay, so we have two minutes left. So I want to just wrap up with a couple of items here. Uh, one number one is to thank you, folks, for staying for the whole 60 minutes and asking relevant questions for us. Um, so I would plug there that if you have a specific topic that you would like to hear from the protocol team members, talk about, discuss, or anything, uh, let us know, reply to this thread, and then I'll follow up and check and see if we can accommodate for that next week, right? So um, yeah, basically soliciting topics that you would want to discuss um, and hear more about, um, again, very, very particular to NIA protocol because we do have a other office hours we do for the dev platforms and SDKs, um, uh, other libraries as such and tools that our team builds. But uh, this is specifically focused on protocols. So if you have any relevant um, feature requests that ideas that you have you want to discuss, we can always discuss on those topics as well. So yeah, reach out to me, DM me or reply to this thread. Um, I'll watch for the the thread here and then and and pick up those topics for the future office hours as well. Um, so that's I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to share. Oh, and we also have a telegram group um, which is called near protocol community group where we also want to provide you a space async so that you can have discussion um, on any topic pertaining to NIA protocol again in that uh, Telegram group. So uh, please welcome and, and join, uh, search for it. It's publicly available and you should be able to join uh, fairly easily and ask your questions there as well, async, and then provide your topic of interest there as well. So we'll consume there, bring it back to office hours so we can have the live conversations on that topic. So with that, I think we are ready to wrap. Josh, what do you think? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, sounds good. Thanks, thanks so much, Chenna. Thanks everyone uh, for joining, and uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.